The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome to Spirit of Recovery Offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here again with Reverend, with co-host Reverend Michelle Jellinch. And today, once again, we'll share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth on your recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. Each week on the show, we will respond to a listener question or comment. Be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. So please let us know what's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. Today's show is titled Give Freely, Receive Freely. When we answer the call to assist another alcoholic or addict on their recovery path, we do so with generosity and gratitude. We do not pay our sponsors or expect payment from our sponsees. Recovery must be free from commerce if we are to be successful. Yes, there may be medical professionals, for example, involved in our recovery at first, and we certainly, quote, render unto Caesar as appropriate at that time, but we do not buy or sell recovery. Although we may have begun asking what's in it for me, we learn over time the power of gracious service to others. We learn to give freely and receive freely in gratitude. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on giving and receiving freely and the joys that accompany it. So we'll begin today by sharing our experiences of that what's in it for me kind of attitude. And then we'll move into the solution, which is the power of service. After the break, we'll share exactly how the power of service helped us to move from that perspective of what's in it to what's in it for me to more of a life of joyful living and giving. So Dan, tell us about your experience of that what's in it for me kind of uh, attitude, let's say, or way of being. <laughs> Again, and we and we talked about this, and I and and I know that we both had the same phrase from the recovery literature yes, pop up did. in our heads. And man, it's just such a uh, to me, it's just such a powerful um, articulation of an experience that I absolutely had, and still, you know, incapable of having from time to time, but it's not my whole life experience now. And that is, and this is a quote uh, from page 62 
of the big book driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Notice the self in there. Yikes. You know, and so and we're we're driven is a good word for it too, yes, uh, yes. because and it it matches up with my experience of um, it has that connotation of it's not a choice. I'm not choosing. This is the only way I know. And I and I remember that uh, you know with some perspective, looking back on it, I I don't I don't even think I was aware that it was anything. You know, I didn't have anything to compare it to. Right. As I as I stayed on a recovery path and uh, grew and changed, I began to live in different ways. And so all of a sudden I had something different to compare it to. But at the time, and, and we've talked before about how all this stuff is, it's really sort of, um, you know, it's survival mechanisms right. for us all. And, and all people, we have these things. Uh, but for some of us, you know, those who have trouble with, uh, run into trouble with addiction, drug, alcohol, or behaviors, or whatever, um, we, we need to pay attention to this stuff in order to live. Now, maybe there are others uh, who have the luxury of not having to pay attention to this stuff. Uh, although, honestly, at this point, if I had to choose, I'd choose this team every yeah. time. I'm, I'd never go back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to repeat that, that we were driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Because you're right, that was exactly the phrase that came to my mind um, when I started thinking about this topic. And I agree completely with what you said, that it's a survival mechanism. I hate to sound like a broken record, but I believe so much of our behavior is a trauma response, trauma reaction. These are ways that we learned to cope with whatever it was that was going on in our early childhood that um, we needed to cope with. And so out of fear... Um, out of not feeling safe or whatever the situation was, we learned to be very self-focused. We needed to be self-focused in order to survive. Um, and the thing is, you know, when you're very self-centered or self-focused, you don't realize that you're self-centered or self-focused. That's kind of right. the nature of it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's like I didn't know I was so self-centered. Now, again, I really want to clarify that self-centered to me, like in the kind of in the popular culture sounds like I think I'm great. And that's not really the kind of self-centeredness that we're talking about. That would be more like bravado or arrogance. And that may exist for a lot of people, too. But I think for many of us, it was a self-centeredness driven by fear and low self-esteem. So it's not that I think I'm so great. It's actually the opposite, that I have a very deep-seated fear that I'm no good at all. And that's why I need to be focused on myself at all times to make sure that I keep myself safe and that I get what I need. The problem is what, what were adaptive skills as children are not cute anymore when we're you know grown adults. And so we need to learn how to grow out of those things. And you know, as they say, we sort of get stunted uh, developmentally at whatever age our using really kicked in. And, um, you know, whatever that was for various folks, <laughs> it was pretty early for me. So, you know, I'm basically a 14-year-old in a 49-year-old's body here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've matured a lot. But, you know, we do. We get sort of stunted um, when our using kicks in. And so um, we need to 
grow out of that. We don't need to cope that way anymore, but it's such a trauma response and such a coping mechanism that it really takes some work to start to unravel that and not be in that perspective all the time. I like to affirm that I'm immature for my age. <laughs> I think that's a truer statement than I may realize, <laughs> or like you're saying, the, the upside of uh, our stunted development is, hey, I get to subtract 30 years from my age. That's my, <laughs> you know, that's my, my Facebook quiz mental age. <laughs> that's the upside of all of this. Um, I remember uh, learning, and again, getting some perspective on this, because I, I agree with what you're saying, that it's not that uh, all of us self-centered addicts, alcoholics, uh, codependents, etc., run around thinking how great we are. We are running around thinking about ourselves all the time, but we're not running around thinking about how great we are all the time, though we may put forth some of that, like you said, kind of behavior as a defense. That's really not what's going on underneath it. And I, I learned over time that my general outlook on the world was based on avoiding discomfort. Now, you know, little amoebas in laboratory dishes will also move away from the electrical charge, you know. So avoiding yeah. discomfort is a, is a very... It's not an uncommon thing to do, but, you know, when it became, for whatever reason... Uh, the very center of my worldview, and it's stuck. Right. You know, it's stuck seemingly beyond um, its utility because, uh, you know, they're, they're, these things come up for a good reason. We need this stuff early on. It's just that we then get used to it and the behaviors kind of get cemented in, so to speak, and yep. we never learn other ways to be, and then it becomes a problem. You know, yes. especially if we if someone likes to drink as much as I did. So, yeah, general outlook just based on avoiding discomfort that just kind of got, um, you know, seemingly set in stone, fortunately not literally set in stone, or I guess anything even that's set in stone, you could sandblast it away anyway, right? So maybe it's not <laughs> the end of the world. But certainly set deeply in my mind, you know, in, in patterns of avoiding things. And that's, you know, that's a... Again, that's a fear-centered way of being and, yeah. by definition, a self-centered way of being. Yeah. I mean, when you're a bit of a hot mess, you're just trying so hard to keep yourself together and keep your own life running that you really don't have a lot of time or energy left to think about others. And you don't really realize that you're behaving that way because, like you say, it has become ingrained. So it took me really, you know, I like to say that the 12-step program is a program of self-discovery. Basically, you know, moving through the 12 steps, it's all about discovering who I am and what my behavior has been and what is in there and what drives me and why did I behave that way and then how can I begin to release it and begin to change. And so it took me time. I'm not going to say how much time. It took me a long time. Uh, this is a gradual program of layers. It's To me, it's very spiral, not linear. It's very spiral. You keep coming back and going a layer deeper. You know, if you do your fourth step in your first year, you're not going to get anywhere near as deep as you're going to get if you do your fourth step in your third or fourth year. You're going to know a lot more about yourself, be able to do a much more thorough um, self-examination at that point. But um, it took me time to see my own behavior. You know, and of course, <laughs> when you're self-centered and self, uh, self-seeking, I like that word, self-seeking and mm -hmm. sort of just self-obsessed, um, 
you don't particularly like having that pointed out to you. <laughs> I wasn't a fan of being, you know, called out on my self-centeredness. So it's, it's, uh, there has to be a certain amount of healing that takes place before we are even, uh, before we even allow ourselves to see ourselves clearly. Does that make sense? It's like, it does. Yeah. You got to bring that self-esteem up to a high enough level where you can even, you can stand to see what's being said about you and whether it's true or not, you know, when, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's part of the process. It's that peeling away layers of the onion and starting to see our own behavior clearly. So as you mentioned, it was just how I was. I really didn't have much of a sense of how my actions were affecting others. That's kind of just how I moved through the world. I'm an only child, which probably, you know, only exacerbated that quality in me. I didn't have to look out for anyone else. Um, so it took me time to begin to see that my actions have an effect. I mean, it sounds really basic. Maybe some people just grow <laughs> up learning this stuff. I don't know, uh, but I, I didn't, that my behaviors have an effect on others because when you're self-centered, you're, you're, you're not thinking, it's hard to explain, but you're, you're not even thinking about other people, much less how your behavior affects them. People just aren't really on your radar. It doesn't mean that you don't love people or care deeply for the people in your life. Yeah. But yeah, when we're actively using, we're just thinking about ourselves, just trying to hold it together. It's more of not being capable yeah. of, you know, balancing those things. It's like, well, if I, if I didn't have all this fear running my life, well, then maybe, you know, I might be in a place where uh, that door would open. And in fact, that's exactly what happened yeah. is as, as I worked uh, on recovery, as I walked the recovery path, which is a spiritual growth path, um, those fears began to become lessened. And when that happened, then I was able to consider uh, more readily what's going on with others. Cause I wasn't so worried about, you know, worried about not having enough worried about not being able to tell the difference between what's real and true from yeah. what's fake and untrue. Those are some of the kinds of things that uh, were troubling to me. But yeah. now that we know about this challenge of uh, what's in it for me, what is the solution? Well, as always, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. Yes, and in fact, unity's fifth principle tells us it is not enough to know these truths. We must live them. And I like to add on to the end of that, we must live them in loving service to the world. It helps clarify for me what that could mean. And that's what we want to focus on today, loving service to the world. But what does this kind of service look like and how can we go about practicing and how can we cultivate it in our lives over time? So, Michelle, when you think about uh, the concept of, of service, you know, doing doing for others or what we're calling the power of service because it is a powerful practice. What comes to mind for you? What does service mean? Oh my goodness. Let's see. So the first thing that comes to mind is being a part of. When we get into service, we become a part of. So it's about being a part of something bigger than ourselves, which gets us out of that self-centered, self-seeking. Um, like you said, there has to be a certain amount of healing so that there's space freed up to even begin to think about other people. And it's sort of, it's like a chicken or an egg, you know, did I free up the space and that's why I can start thinking of other people or do I start thinking of other people and that helps heal me and then it, you know, it kind of just goes back and forth. So basically the first thing I want to say about service is just do it, just do it, you know, um, and we're going to talk a little bit later about how we 
maybe discern, you know, what service commitments we should agree to and how we need to, you know, practice self-care and such. But basically, when you come into the program and your sponsor tells you, you know, I want you to be coffee person at this meeting, if it is within your reasonable possibility, do it. <laughs> do it. This is a place where you need to just trust the um, the process, you know, and if you're like me, the first time I was asked to do something, I was terrified. It was like, what? You know, I don't want to, I don't want to be that visible. I don't want to be in charge. Oh gosh. The first time I was asked to speak at a fairly large meeting, oh, man. I thought I was going to die, but the, okay. And I know we're talking today about giving without worrying about receiving, but you almost can't talk about that because it's impossible. Whenever you give, you do receive. And so when I started to do service, when I started to open myself up and speak at meetings and, you know, I started to feel a part of, and I started to feel better about myself. And then it just snowballs from there. I like what you said about, is it a chicken and egg thing yeah. is the chicken come first or the egg because in my experience it's one of those both ands yeah you know i learned that phrase from reverend kelly isola a both and it it is it is not either and it is both they're not the same thing they're different but um the elements of both of them sort of circle around and come and go and ebb and flow and is that not like life is and so yeah just like you said i might I might learn the joy of service by just simply doing what my sponsor asked me to do, even if it makes me uncomfortable at first. You know, I have to be able to trust my sponsor at least that much. Right. And then in doing that, I begin to learn, wow, this actually feels pretty good to do these things. And then when I'm feeling better, I'm more inclined to be helpful because I'm yeah. not in so much pain and I'm not right. hyper-focused on self. And so I think it's a... You know, it's a it's a self uh, it's a self I don't say that self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. It, it it drives itself. It's a it's an upward spiral, you know, yes. of of joy. And so, yeah, sometimes we start with just I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something. I'm not feeling yeah. it. I'm right. just going to do it. And sometimes I am feeling it and I do it. Or maybe I wasn't, and then I do something, and now I am feeling connected. When right. I wasn't before, you know, could be any of those things. One way I learned to make it fun early on was with this phrase. I loved uh, hearing this uh, in the rooms because I thought it was it was funny to be a member of the Secret Service. First yeah. time someone said that, I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I'm thinking. And, and what they mean by being a member of the Secret Service is you do things for other people anonymously. Oh, That's yeah. the secret part of it. So we provide service to the world in secret. Um, it's a good practice. It's a good spiritual practice because it it really will highlight to, in me if I'm doing things only to get accolades or right. you know to be seen as being uh, better or whatever by other people. If I'm doing things but nobody knows about it, it kind of will highlight that in me. I've also found it to be really fun. And just like you're, you used a great example in that, I mean, I had the same experience the first time I was asked to speak in front of a group. I mean, I was pretty nervous about all that. But this Secret Service stuff, nobody knows you're doing it anyway. It's the opposite yeah. of standing up on the platform in front of the group. And it can be little tiny things. You know, we hear stories in the news of a, at the Starbucks drive-thru. I pay for the person behind me yeah. or whatever. 
or um, I've, I've been at places. I remember being at a gym that I used to go to and, and I, um, when my kids were little and they'd love to get stuff from the vending machine and the vending machine would make change and we'd just leave the change in the yeah. vending machine. Yeah. I mean, it could be 15 cents. It could be 35 cents. It doesn't matter. But when I've seen people find that change, you'd think they won the lottery. You yeah. know, it's just like, oh, the universe is giving me money. Right. And uh, they didn't know it had anything to do with me. And it cost me almost nothing, but it brought me a lot of joy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So Mr. Bible teacher over here, didn't Jesus say something about that? The left hand shouldn't know what the right hand was doing. Yes. I love that. <laughs> and so that's kind of the idea. And we know Jesus was railing against those who made a big demonstration of their giving. And then of course we have the wonderful story, which I love of the widow's might where, you know, this little old woman gives the tiniest little coin that was all she had and um you know all these others are giving big quantities and jesus is reported to have said that she had made the greater uh contribution because she gave well there's a number of meanings but she gave not only all she had but she gave from her heart she gave out of the kindness of her heart because she wanted to give whereas the others were giving just as a demonstration for other people to see them how wonderful they were giving so there's a lot of lessons from our way shower Jesus um, about just what you're talking about, that giving in secret yeah. um, with no, you know, it reminds me, um, it reminds me of a friend's episode where um, Phoebe is challenged to do something for someone where she isn't getting something back. <laughs> and she basically like can hardly find anything because pretty much anything she does, she's getting something back from it. And that's kind of what I was saying in the last time is like, you know, um, in the last part is that it's pretty much impossible to give and not receive, you know, and in, in unity, we talk about the law of circulation and we know that giving and receiving are two sides of the same coin, no pun intended. Okay. Pun intended. Um, <laughs> and, and so it's, you know, let's say we do these things in secret and we're not doing them to get any um, glory or, you know, notoriety or whatever, but what's happening inside of us we're starting to feel better about ourselves. We're starting yeah. to heal. We're starting to grow that self-esteem. And so there's no way for us to not receive. That's the good news. You know, that's the good news is we become, okay. So it's like in the program, we talk about, you know, the reason I said in the last segment, just do it is because when we just do it, it starts to change us. Yeah. So I just want to say the first time, you know, first time, first hundred times, whatever I was asked to do service, I must tell you straight up, I didn't do it because I'm a wonderful, kind person that <laughs> wanted to help others. I did it because I was told to do it, you know, and I did it. I have a very strong sense of duty. And so I responded to that as like, okay, my sponsor's telling me I better do this, you know, but over time it starts to change you. So if we can just do the thing, it will work on us little by little, start making us feel more a part of the group, start making us feel more valuable, like we um, are actually worth something, you know, and as we begin to act like better people, we become better people. That's the thing, 
You know, it's not like we become better people and then we start being better. It's you know? another chicken and egg thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think what I'm hearing is you're pointing out something very powerful, which is that uh, what, you know, at first for many of us on a recovery journey, we're used to doing things, asking what's in it for me. Like, I'm only going to do this if I get some tangible benefit. Um, and it could be everyone sees me do it and they think I'm really awesome. You know, it yeah. could be that kind of thing. Uh, like those Bible stories of the, um, you know, the people praying on the corner and painting their face so it looks ashen, so they look more pious. You know, it could be that kind of thing. But what's going on, and we learn to stop looking at it that way and to stop doing that. And what we discover over time when we do that is, like you're saying, on a very deep spiritual level, it's impossible to give and not to receive, yeah. but not at that superficial level like we can be looking at it when we first come in. It, right. It's the, the deep spiritual level is never asking what's in it for me. The right. deep spiritual level is doing for the joy of doing, knowing full well that even if I have no idea what it is, this is coming back to me multiplied as even more good. I can't wait to see the good that comes out of this, whatever it might be. Um, one practice that I've undertaken is the practice of tithing, you know, tithing the strict definition, meaning giving 10% of my uh, gross income to the person, place, or institution where I've been fed spiritually. Yes. And and it doesn't mean you have to give money to your church. It took me forever to get past that. It doesn't mean that. Yeah. Um, but it's a powerful practice because it pushes me um, to perhaps be more giving financially than I thought I would be able to. And it forces yes. me to face the fear of yeah. not having enough and really put it to the test. And what I found a lot of joy in that tithing is, well, certainly I get fed spiritually at church. And so, yeah, I would, uh, part of my tithe goes to church, but that's not the only place right. I get fed spiritually. I might get fed spiritually uh, from an author of a book and I've, and I've written checks to authors of books, tithe checks. I like to say could be, uh, you know, musicians, magicians, mechanics, or massage therapists, yeah. you know, it doesn't, wherever it comes to me, I give back to that um, right. source, yes. which could be an individual person. I've shared before, I've written tithe checks and sent them to the address on the back of a CD because yeah. I was so deeply inspired by what was on that um, CD. So that, you know, that's one service, one way of giving. It, it can be structured. And, and I've just found it super uh, healing, super powerful on the healing. Yeah, it's a powerful practice. And I just want to say again, I was just thinking this as, you know, you said something about the goal ultimately is to, is to be able to give without any expectation of receiving. And I just want to say for me, at least, I needed to not wait until I could do it like that. Like if I waited until I could give without any expectation of receiving, I wouldn't be I'd never, I'd never get there. So for me, it's, it's start giving, start doing it. That feeling of not expecting anything in return will come with time, but I've got to just start doing it. Absolutely. But hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We hope that you'll please stay with us.
Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back indeed. We're glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jellinch. We will resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there, and each week we will respond during the show to a listener question or comment. Be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, and please let us know what's on your mind. So prior to the break, we were discussing that uh, mindset of what's in it for me, um, doing things to get something. And then we contrasted that with uh, what service means to us and that idea of giving or being in service without any expectation of receiving. So Dan, now that we've sort of discussed that what's in it for me kind of thinking, and we know that the solution or the antidote to that is the power of service, Let's talk about how the power of service leads us to what we have decided to call joyful living. I like joyful living. You know, the the longer I walk this path, the more and more I feel like that that's a description I can really claim for my life. And I'm just so very grateful um, to everyone who's walked this path before me, everyone who has helped me along the way on this. uh, You know, it's both an addiction recovery, absolutely, but it's a spiritual growth path. And and, uh, it's, it's just, it has absolutely led to me Um, to something I can genuinely call joyful living. Uh, One way, and we kind of said this, you know, when I asked, well, so so how does this whole doing service with, you know, not because I'm expecting a reward, just for the joy of giving, how did service help me move away from that self-centered, what's in it for me way of thinking and into this kind of joy? Well, one very simple and almost too obvious way is that when I'm doing something for others, I'm not at the same time thinking about myself all the time. So doing for others literally helps me take my mind off of my habitual worries and concerns and fears. And so I just, I feel better. I feel better if only because I didn't ruminate on a hundred forms of fear for a half hour, you know, (laughs) while I helped Uh, clean up the room after a meeting or, you know, it it could be anything at all. It doesn't have to be directly related to the recovery community, though often it it is, and that's where we begin. But, uh, you know, doing anything just to be helpful with no expectation of reward takes my mind off of me, which equals I just feel better. Yeah. I remember when I first came into the 12-step rooms and I heard, I don't know if you still hear this, as much. But I remember hearing a lot of old timers talking a lot about how in order to receive it, they had to give it away. Giving it away is how I receive it. Helping others is how I keep helping others stay sober is how I stay sober. And the old timers were always talking about that. I don't know if that's as strong of a tradition today as it was back then. Um, But it's an important reminder that that is that is the basically the gist of the 12 step 
program is that you know in helping others we help ourselves we ourselves stay clean or sober or whatever it is from our um, whatever our addiction is by helping others and so it really is part of the recovery process it's an important part of the process it's not just something that we do you know just because I don't know we're told to or whatever I mean it really does help and it heals and um it does so many things for us, but that getting out of ourselves and, you know, it's not like it's really a lot of fun being self-centered. I mean, it's not right. You know, our, what is it? The third step prayer that talks about free me from the bondage of self. Bondage. Man, I always loved that line. Free me from the bondage of self. Good Lord. Thinking about myself 24 seven is not a good time. It's not fun. And, and who wants to be in bondage to self? I want to live happy, joyous, and free, like you were talking about. And of happy, joyous, and free, the one that I most want is free. I want to be free from that self-obsession, free from the fear, free from thinking about myself all the time. How boring. And the antidote to that is to get out and help others. You know, I remember one time I was, well... One of many times I got myself into quite a pickle in recovery, in sobriety. And my sponsor, instead of going, oh, well, let's sit here and talk on the phone for an hour about how miserable you are. She said, I want you to go help someone else. I was like, what? Don't you hear me? I'm in crisis here. <laughs> you know, go and help someone else. And it's because it gets us out of ourselves. Absolutely. I've heard that put, what have you done for others lately? As a, as a question I can ask myself, you know, if I'm feeling down about myself, if I'm feeling down uh, in the world in general, uh, I'm probably hyper-focused on myself. I'm probably being self-centered again. You know, it's old habits are hard to shake. And I can ask myself, what have I done for other people lately? And the answer is almost always, if not always, not much. Not much. <laughs> well, there's a kind of a clue. Right there. Well, why don't I change that? Because just like your sponsor knew, I have come to understand through my sponsors and others who've gone before me that if I get out of myself by doing for others, uh, if I, uh, and what I'd heard described that you were talking about, I got to give it a way to keep it. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I can really practice that principle, then I will discover the joy of it. It's just, it's just there. I don't have to create the joy. I just allow the joy is more how it feels. And, you know, that's, that is right there um, in the teachings of Jesus. The, the quote that comes to mind, those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. When you live for higher principles, when you live from the perspective of your higher self, when I live from Christ consciousness instead of what uh, Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore would call, um, what did he call it? Sense consciousness. Carnal. Sometimes when he was feeling cheeky. <laughs> Carnal right. consciousness. So that in you know is how I'm uh, losing what I thought my life was in order to find it. That's that's, right. that's giving it away in order to keep it. It's yeah. really an obtuse kind of concept, but once you once you experience it, it's not. I was going to say once you get it, once I have experienced it, um, you know, then I can't unsee it, so to speak. It becomes integrated and in, and in, in part of my life. So, yeah, I love that. Um, a lot of the spiritual teachings are these sort of 
upside down sounding conundrums. Like, why would I give away 10% of my money and you're telling me that's going to make my life better somehow? Can't you do math? Don't you know that 90% is less than 100? You see, that's that fearful way of looking at things. Um, But when I actually do it, then I really get that sort of wordless um, understanding is not a good word, experience. It's an experience. It's the peace that passes all understanding. And I just nod and smile. And like, life is good. Thank you, God. And Jesus has been telling us that for 2,000 years. (laughs) It's not something new. Yeah, it seems that there are so many paradoxes. It seems that paradox is a part of spirituality. And I think I'm kind of want to call out or shout out to Kelly Isla because that's kind of her thing, right? As you were saying you got some of that from her. That Absolutely. Um, so what up, Kelly? Um, that paradox, you know, and Jesus loved those uh, seemingly contrary statements. You know, the first will be last and the last will be first. And it's like what you were, I was thinking when you were talking, you know, what we think will make us happy is not really what will make us happy. So, if we are in that place of what's in it for me, what I'm thinking is going to make me happy is getting what I want and getting what I need and taking care of myself. That's what I think is going to make me happy. But because the universe is such a wonderful, crazy, paradoxical place, it actually turns out that that isn't what makes me happy. That what makes me happy is when I'm not living from that place, when I'm living from a place of wanting to do good, be in service to others, help others just because. And it turns out that that is what ultimately brings us that deep joy and meaning. And, um, you know, typically when we come into the program, we don't have very good self-esteem. We're not feeling very good about ourselves. And, you know, our self-help culture would sort of tell us to just start telling ourselves how wonderful we are with affirmations and such. And I'm not saying that's bad, but we've got to actually start to be wonderful as we're telling ourselves how wonderful we are, right? That's what's going to ultimately make us feel better about ourselves. So if we want to feel good about ourselves, we have to do good. When I act in a good way, I start to feel better about myself. Absolutely. That's the way it works. Amen. I'm going to raise my hand. Yeah. Say, preach it. Sister, that is exactly (laughs) how it works when I start to do things for others, I start to feel better in my own life. And it is kind of one of those paradoxes where I have to give it away to keep it. I have to lose my life in order to gain it, uh, etc. I've found that doing for others gives me a sense of purpose and value other than, and you were kind of getting at this, other than making money or succeeding at things, you know, worldly kinds of things. If my whole life aspiration is to get that that next fanciest car because I want to be doing that much better. You know, I want to run with the slightly bigger dogs. Um, Then I always need the nicer car, the bigger house, the more expensive vacation and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, uh, when I was younger for a period of time, that was enough to keep me um, going or really to keep me deluded. You know, what do we say? It works till it doesn't, you know, that kind of thing too, that it gets old after a while because it never ends. There's always a fancier car. You could have the most expensive production automobile that you can get your hands on. 
And someone will look at you and say, but do you have an airplane? Yeah. It's like, oh, crap. You get into airplanes. and <laughs> It's you know, a whole other thing. Oh, man, yeah. it's a whole other thing. The cheap ones are expensive, and they get big and talking multi-million dollars. Yeah. There's, you know, oh, you only no, have one? You only have, you you have only a have jet? <laughs> you only have one jet? You know, well, well how does your spouse get to Paris? <laughs> It never ends. It never yeah. ends. And what I learned, uh, you know, and I, my hand was forced to say I didn't surrender. My position was overrun. You know, it wasn't my idea, uh, it seemingly. But when I was finally able to let that stuff go, life started to get genuinely good in a way that no car, no house, no vacation, no airplane or vacation home or whatever, none of that stuff can touch the, the experience that I feel I have in life just, you know, each day, each day when I'm willing to call upon it and to let that be enough and the simplest little things, you know, responding to an email, offering an affirmation to someone who has texted and they seemed worried about something, you know, these seemingly almost from that other point of view of airplanes and vacation homes seems like nothing is actually the most powerful I have found uh, forces in my life. And again, it's the peace that passes all understanding. Why does it pass all understanding? Because it makes no sense to people mm -hmm. who are completely invested in the material things in life. Yes. Yeah. And it's, that's the American way, right? I mean, we're taught that from the, you know, get-go that we're to be little consumers and that you know consuming things getting more of this that and the other thing is what's going to make us happy and so like you mentioned we're just chasing chasing after something that we can't really ever get because we're looking for it in the wrong place right as long as I'm chasing after something material there's always going to be like you mentioned something else that's one step beyond that I can't get and even if you do then get there we typically find that it didn't make us happy the way we thought it was going to right and then we're just on to the next thing I mean I hate to say that but that's what we yeah. are, we're raised to be little consumers because that's what drives our consumer culture. Um, we have this saying in my church that you can never get enough of what you don't really want. And I'm not sure who to credit that to. I'm not sure where that came from, but you can never get enough of what you don't really want. And it's because that's not really what our human souls want. You know, I can honestly say that materially, Okay, I mean, compared to a good percentage of the world, I'm extremely affluent. But compared to others around me, I'm not. I don't have a lot of material things. Um, but ever since my life has become much more about serving others, ever since I answered the call to ministry, I am happier than I've ever been in my life. And I'm not some kind of wonderful person, okay? I could not have predicted any of this. You know, this is not like if you told me 20 years ago that this was going to be my life, I would have told you you were nuts. But it just goes to show you that once we get on this path, hold on, man, just hold on to your seat because it gets crazy. You know, I mean, it's it's a path. It's a powerful path. And um, we don't know what's coming. And life is always full of amazing surprises. But it is that paradox that having less materially but having more spiritually is ultimately what makes us happy it's ultimately what has made me happy it's not happy happy like when you buy something ah happy happy it's not like that right it's that deep 
peace and joy and fulfillment that you were talking about that the Bible says surpasses understanding because it's un it's otherworldly. It's not describable, but it is experienceable. Yeah, that's a good I like that. And, and that's been my experience as well, is that it, it's, it, you can't explain it. I mean, I like to think of myself as pretty good at explaining things, you know, even complex things, but you cannot explain this. There's no explaining it. One has to experience it. I had to experience it in order to really, you know, kind of get it. And, and again, I, I keep wanting to use all these thinking analogies, like I might say to wrap my head around it. Well, my head doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. It's to wrap my experience around it maybe would be more appropriate. Um, one, one way that doing for others has helped me because it helps me feel better about the world in general yeah. because I find that I see more good in the world when I'm stepping out purposefully to do a bit of good with no expectation of reward. And yeah. we, we call that dynamic the law of attraction, right? Yeah. The law of mind action. Right. That says whatever it is that's going on in my consciousness, whatever it is I'm thinking about, I get more of that. You know, our mind is a magnet. And it's closely related to the, you know, sort of the clinical concept of confirmation bias, right? If, if I go around carrying the belief that the world is a good place and I make it true by doing things that make it so, then I can, I'm continually confirming what I already believe because yeah. I believe it, I see it more readily. The more I see it, the more bolstered my belief is. That's right. And that, 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 that's just a fact of human consciousness. We can use that in ways that are helpful and we can use it in ways that are unhelpful or skillful versus right. unskillful. Right. Um, and that's what we're talking about with the law of, of mind action is let's use it in a skillful manner. Recognize that it's there. Or as I've said before, if I'm just going to make crap up, I may as well make up good crap, right? Yeah. I'm making it up and I know it. <laughs> Why would I make up doom and gloom? Well, yeah. I know the answer is because I'm afraid. Right. You know, I'm afraid to be disappointed. And so, you know, if I aim low, I can never be disappointed, right? right. That, that way of seeing. But um, that's not how I do it anymore. You know, yeah. uh, doing for others helps me feel better about the world because I see more good in the world because that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think also the way that uh, being in service leads to that joyful living for me is because it gives me purpose, you know, and it seems like purpose may really be what human beings are ultimately after. And the reason I think that is because, um, you know, I, like many people, suffer from low-grade, you know, chronic depression. And depression often feels to me like purposelessness, like there's no yeah. purpose. Yeah. And so I think it's when there's no feeling of purpose, that's when I can be depressed. And so being in service gives me purpose, you know, and everybody wants a life of meaning. I mean, it's that question, why am I here? What the heck am I doing here? What is it all for? You know, especially if we're going through tough times, why am I doing this? Why am I even here? And, um, having that, you know, being of service gives us purpose. And I think I've shared before when I, you know, I had a pretty self-centered existence before I had my son and my son just sort of brought that house of cards down just yeah. by coming into the world. And suddenly I had this 
purpose that just permeated every aspect of my being as a new mother. I had this helpless creature that needed me. I mean, needed me just to keep breathing and surviving. And um, being a mother has given me extremely deep purpose. And I've been happier since I became a mother than I was before. Now, I know having children brings many of us joy, but I think for me, a big part of that was it wasn't about me anymore, which just goes to show that having it be all about us is not happy. It's not fun. I wasn't happy that way. When my life suddenly became about caring for someone else, I was infinitely happier and filled with a very deep sense of purpose of why I got up every morning, what I was here for. I was here to care for this precious child that had been given to me. So I think that purpose is a really big part of it, of that living happy, joyous and free. I found that doing for others one way that it uh, has uh, helped me grow is that it lets me give back in ways that I was given to when I needed it, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's this for any of us in addiction recovery, especially uh, we remember the experience of coming into addiction recovery. It was not fun. I was not well, you know, I was, it was just, it, it was very, very difficult, but, but there were people there, you know, yeah. who, who were kind to me even though I didn't know them. They were kind to me for no reason at all. Not because I was going to do them a favor, not because they were trying to get something from me, you know, for no reason at all. Someone had done it for them. Exactly, because they knew something I didn't know at that time. So doing for others uh, lets me give back in ways that I was given to when I needed it. And these can be very simple things. You know, I've mentioned uh, some already, and we always use, it's almost the stereotypical example of making coffee at a meeting, but that's because it's a really good example of doing for others. I'm not making coffee for me. I'm making coffee for everyone and I'm not getting paid to do it. And most people probably won't even know that I'm the one that made the coffee. Just showing up at a meeting is an example of a way that I can be generous, that I can um, keep it by giving it away. As we say, I talked about tithing or just giving in general. It doesn't have to be that strict practice. Um, just being generous, being a generous person in the world. I teach if I want to experience a generous universe, I need to be a generous person. That can be financially, you know, Mm -hmm. with friends or family, let me pay for the tab. Or it could be, I could be generous with my time and attention, Mm -hmm. just as others have been generous to me with their time and attention or have bought uh, my dinner. But we need to shift gears now and turn our attention to a question or a comment from our listeners. So here's a question that often comes up. I get it that it's important to do things for other people, but do I have to do everything anybody ever asked me to do? You know, where do I draw the line? I'm not sure I'm down with all of this. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about this before the program, that there is sort of an unspoken rule in the program that you always say yes to a 12-step request. And I think that's just a rule of thumb because our first inclination may be no. (laughs) You know, I 
I, I, I typically don't do things unless I'm asked to do them, you know, things that are out of my comfort zone. And so we've got to use our own spiritual discernment about how much we can take on and whether, um, whether we want to do everything that we're asked to do. But I would say that it's good for us to be pushed out of our comfort zone. Just not wanting to do it is not a reason to not do it, you know? And so asking being asked to be of service can give us that little nudge that we need to get more involved in our own recovery and and, and to give back to the group like we were talking about and i i i see what you're saying and and i it, i think it's especially important at first when we first come in when i first come in and i'm so concerned about myself the the simple guideline that says when someone asks you to make coffee at a meeting just say yes and make it you know that can help jar me out of yep. that heavy uh, self-centered way of being but just like everything it has layers that yeah. does not mean that i'm meant to be a doormat and you right. know lead a glum existence because i am now controlled by other people that's not right. what we're talking about right. we're talking about balance right we're talking about balancing a time for healing with a time for service you know, receiving and giving. I like to think of it as balancing inhale and exhale. Wouldn't it be silly if I said, well, I like to inhale, yeah. but I don't want to exhale because I'm afraid there's not going to be enough. And, and inhaling is what it's all about anyway, right? Yeah. So why don't I just inhale and then stop great. I love right that. there? No, I freely give and I freely receive. I do all of these things in balance, of course. But if I'm so out of balance, because I'm so self-centered when I come in, maybe, yeah, I do need to carry a card that says yeah. when someone asks me to do something, heck yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. If that's appropriate. Yes. Yeah. Well, as always, we love to give you an affirmation that you can take with you to uh, sort of put into action what we've been talking about today. And our affirmation for today is, as I give, I freely receive the universal abundance. I love that concept. As I give, I freely receive of the universal abundance. The universal abundance there being the good that is everywhere, if I can just perceive it. That's right. Well, we have come to the end of our time together here today, and we sincerely hope you found something that will be helpful to you on your recovery. Thank you, Reverend Michelle, again for our discussion, and thanks to all of you who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. Listeners, if you would like to, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time. And until then, don't drink like my co-host did. And don't drink like my co-host did. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. 
On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.